Hi, and welcome back to the show. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and uh, we are back with another episode. I don't really have much in the way of housekeeping or announcements or anything uh, to that effect, so we're just going to hop right into today's show. Today, I am joined by Sean Buckley. Uh, Sean is a lawyer and is the president of the Natural Health Products Protection Association, or more simply put, the NHPPA. Uh, Sean and I actually have quite a long history um, in the activist world, and basically what the mandate of the NHPPA is, is to protect our access to natural health products. And the attack on natural health products uh, by way of overregulation and strangulation by government is alive and well. Uh, some of you who are familiar with my work, who perhaps know me a little better, might know that I was involved quite heavily with the Bill C-51 and C-52 uh, back in the sort of mid-2000s. But predating that, in the 90s, there was a huge uprising of um, People who, you know, as natural health products got more popular, uh, there was um, sort of pushback, if you will, from government and particularly from Health Canada, where they wanted to see tighter regulations and I think most people would say over-regulation. And what sort of spawned from that is the growing population now in natural health products uh, has sort of led us down this road where people have sort of lost faith and confidence in uh, a lot of the Western allopathic medicine, and they've simply turned to alternatives. This is exactly why uh, holistic health and alternative medicine and naturopathy and whatnot have become so popular. And sort of what comes with that, especially here in Canada, we I've discussed this on other shows, especially my uh, podcast with Del Bigtree, how the mainstream media, I, I'm not sure what's going on there, but they are heavily against anything alternative for whatever reason. And we now know as well, listen to this interview and you'll hear, that the that Health Canada also is not very uh, friendly or kind towards natural health products. And because they've become so popular, um, you know, you can't sort of overtly just ban them or strip things away. So the way that Health Canada is going about this is to essentially work in the background and to say, hey, you know what, if we want to restrict access, the easiest way we can do that is to over-regulate. And that is the sort of focal point of our discussion today, where we talk about things like, um, you know, regulating supplements as in the same league as pharmaceutical drugs, uh, increased fines and penalties, uh, restricted access. And essentially, what we're talking about is the loss of access to natural health products where essentially we will be left with a handful of companies who are the big players. Many of these companies have been bought out by pharmaceutical companies. So that is all that will be left standing. And my concern here is in addition to restriction of access, we're also going to have products that have zero label claims. So we're not going to know what they do. The uh, efficacy is going to be reduced uh, as well as the quality. And that is really what we talk about today. So for a lot of people, this might be quite shocking for you. You might never have thought about this. You might never have heard about this. But in a world where people are getting sicker and sicker and people are taking their health into their own hands, uh, this is a very, very urgent matter. 
I would encourage you to look at the show notes where you can visit the NHPPA website. I've put direct links to the discussion paper, which really unpacks this discussion even more, as well as action items where you can go onto the NHPPA website. There are uh, campaigns there. There are all sorts of things that you can get involved in. And uh, I I would encourage you to get on this immediately because this is a pressing issue. This is happening right now under our nose at time of recording. So time is of the essence. There is an immediate sense of urgency here as well. And uh, anything you can do to help um, will be greatly appreciated. So please um, share this uh, episode with your friends, your family, your community. This is another important episode as well, because my fears here are that we sit on our hands and do nothing. And uh, once this all comes to pass and is consecrated in legislation, uh, that's when the uprising will occur and we're then going to have to fight back. Uh, So if we can be a bit more proactive and get this underway, I think we'll have a lot more um, of a favorable outcome. So I'm going to leave it at that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, As always, please consider sharing, subscribing, reviewing. You can link this to your own blog. You can talk about this episode on your own podcast. Uh, Anything that you can do to help get the word out. So without further delay, I bring you Sean Buckley. Hey, Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. Um, So I just want to give our listeners a sense of the backstory here. Um, You and I actually met quite some time ago now. I think it was the sort of mid to late uh, 2000s um, through doing some activist work, which I'm sure we'll touch on um, uh, along the way here. But um, I wanted to get into your story a little bit because, you know, we'll talk about the NHPPA, what you guys do. But you have an interesting sort of journey getting into um, what you do today. So perhaps you can just sort of share um, your your journey so far. Oh, sure. So, yeah, so just so that your audience understands, I was raised in a home where when we got sick, we basically went to the doctor and, you know, got a prescription when that was, the doctor thought that was a good idea. And anything about natural products or, you know, the natural health community, I knew nothing about that, except that, you know, some people took vitamins. And I'm working at a firm in Kamloops, and I don't know, some of your audience will remember the name Jim Strauss. He was a herbalist in Kamloops. He had a little herbal shop, and he was selling heart drops. And, you know, his story's interesting, and I think I should just segue to give a little bit of his background so your audience kind of knows where he was coming from, <clears throat> but he was from Austria. And just to, to date his age, I mean, he flew for the German Air Force in the Second World War. Okay, so he wow. was an older guy. And his family had been traditional healers for 400 years. Wow. And he was trained, he was trained by his grandparents in the family business, you know, out in the forest, picking herbs, tasting them. That's how they would tell potency was through taste. And, you know, learned the family business, but that's what he wasn't interested in. He became, he got a PhD in electrical engineering, and he was actually working in British Columbia for the, you know, electrical company, BC Hydro, and he has a heart attack. And he's Mm -hmm. rushed to the hospital, and they do an angiogram, and he's got one artery 100% blocked and another 80% blocked, and they said, you need a double bypass surgery if you're going to live. 
And he thought, no, no, I've got a better idea. <clears throat> he comes up with these heart drops. He treats himself. He's successful. I think that was like 1980, 81. And, you know, he died a couple of years ago in an old folks home and he never, ever did have a bypass surgery. Huh. So he, he was so successful. He thought, well, I better quit my job as an electrical engineer and share this with the world. So he's, he's out selling these heart drops. Well, Health Canada just hated. Can you imagine? No, this is back. <clears throat> this is before the natural health product regulations. So it would have been impossible for him to get approval. And, and even today, they'd never get approval for what the product actually does. I think, you know, they're, they have approval for something like supports cardiovascular health. Mm -hmm. Like we have, we have health, full health censorship in Canada. So, but anyway, so Health Canada hated the fact that he was selling these heart drops and claiming to treat heart disease. So he was importing some, some herbs from the United States, perfectly legal for him to import, and Health Canada seized them at the border. Now, there's a special legal term for when the government takes property because, you know, they're not happy with your regulatory activities, and that legal term is theft. So basically, <laughs> Health Canada had stolen his property, and so he's suing Health Canada in the Kamloops courts, and so the firm I was at had the Department of Justice contract, so the file's thrown at me, so I'm actually acting for Health Canada against Jim Strauss. Okay, so that, that's important for listeners. So you're essentially a lawyer that's working for Health Canada to fight the Jim Strauss, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so I go to you know, I go to court and I actually I have him his matter thrown out of court because he was in the wrong court. And <clears throat> first of all, I, I have to share that um, before I left the firm I was at, you know, I got Health Canada's permission to talk about these things because they were actually hopeful that I might be able to help him come into compliance. And, you know, I've lectured about this far and wide, and I, so I just I want your listeners to understand that. But their point of view and my point of view when I was acting for them was that isn't it outrageous that here we have a rogue herbalist selling an unapproved product. Brett, can you imagine somebody selling a product for therapeutic purpose that Health Canada hasn't approved of? Now, this is what I, you know, my mindset. Yeah. yeah. So I was actually very pleased to go to court and, you know, have his thing thrown out. Now I'm totally ashamed. But, you know, back then I thought I was, you know, doing the public good. Right. So right. now I leave that firm. I start my own firm. And he ends up getting charged by the province for practicing medicine without a license. So that the act that gives doctors their medical monopoly says only doctors can practice medicine. And the practice of medicine is defined to include making treatment claims. This was just another attempt to shut him down. Mm. So he hires me and I'm, I'm wondering how the heck am I going to defend this guy? So he hired you. He hired me to defend him. <laughs> okay. So now I'm acting for him, you know, because the province is trying to convict him of, of practicing medicine without a license. And, and I, I'm just, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going <clears> to <throat> successfully defend him at first because I'm looking at the law and the law says you can't make the claims he's making. He's clearly making the claims. I mean, he can't 
he can't shut up about the claims. And it's like, well, this does not look good. So then I, I decided, well, why don't I attack the act? Because mm -hmm. here we have an act that says he can't speak. And we have the Chart of Rights and Freedoms that say we have freedom of expression. And we've got a conflict here. So I served constitutional notice on the Crown prosecutors that I was going to ask the court to strike down the laws unconstitutional. And as I'm preparing my constitutional arguments, I'm thinking <clears throat> whether he's telling the truth or not doesn't matter in a legal sense because freedom of expression protects all expression, whether it's truthful or not truthful. Mm -hmm. But psychologically, I'm going to have a better chance convincing a judge to strike down a law to protect freedom of expression if it's truthful expression. It's just going to be easier. I mean, put yourself in a judge's shoes. <clears throat> if somebody's being prevented from telling the truth, you're going to be more sympathetic than if they're being prevented from lying, especially yeah. about health issues. What? You're lying. You're getting people to not seek proper medical treatment. I'm not going to have much luck there. Yeah. So <clears throat> I go to his little herb shop and I, you know, I say, Jim, I know we don't, there's not going to be any clinical trial evidence or anything like that, but is there any way we can show you're telling the truth? And he kind of thinks for a second and he goes back to the back of his shop and he starts bringing me out boxes. And I, I don't remember now, it was either three or five boxes. And they were filled with letters that people just felt compelled to write him. And I take these back to my office, and they are all the same. It's like oh. I had heart disease, I was dying, I took your heart drops, I got well, thank you, God wow. bless you. So very now, an anecdotal in a sense. I mean, it's just... Well, pure anecdotal, but, but I'm sorry. I love anecdotal evidence, but and doctors love anecdotal evidence, mm -hmm. but... I can't enter those letters as evidence because that's pure hearsay in court. But what I can do is call the authors of the letters to testify under oath of, you know, what, what their story is. So I start phoning these people. And on, on the day of trial, I had five middle-class professional witnesses. And I, you know, I chose middle-class professionals for credibility purposes. Mm-hmm. They had all had heart disease. They had all had at least one open heart bypass surgery. One had had two. They all continued to have heart disease. They all needed another bypass surgery to survive. And here's where the group differed is a couple were too weak to survive the surgery. So the doctor said, we can't, we can't give you another surgery. And the rest, they weren't willing to go through it again if it was just going to buy them a short period of time. Right. Because it's just, it, it's such a traumatic experience. So, for all of them, the mainstream medical system was now a dead end. <clears throat> they all, you know, turn to, you know, they're looking for answers. They all come across these heart drops. They all get well, and they all are working at the time of the trial. They hadn't been able to work for years before they, they huh. found the heart drops. So that was my kind of road to Damascus conversion experience, because when I was acting for Health Canada against him, I fully accepted, wait a second, the danger was allowing this rogue herbalist to peddle some snake oil saying that he treats heart disease. And yet 
you know, by the time of that trial, I realized, no, no, the real danger was not allowing this herbalist who had a product that had saved thousands of lives. And I had the names and addresses and phone numbers of, you know, thousands of them. Imagine how many people didn't, how many people were actually write a letter. So, so that kind of forced me to think for the very first time, you know, that there's something wrong with our drug policy because what we've done in Canada is, is we've created this situation where anything used for a therapeutic purpose is illegal. Full stop. It's illegal. And, then out of these illegal products, a few become legal as they get Health Canada permission. So for your audience to understand our drug model, just imagine you're in a cage with bars. So you're in a cage and you've now become ill and you need some treatment. The only treatments you can have are ones that Health Canada, they extend through the bars of your cage. Mm. You're not allowed to have anything other than what they approve, which is quite a fantastic situation. And you don't even know there's other treatments, so you don't even want to leave your cage because we have almost full censorship of truthful health information when it comes to natural products. So it's quite a fantastic situation. And, you know, in the area of novel chemical drugs, the model isn't a bad one because when you're going to introduce a novel chemical into the human body that we've never, ever taken, I mean, history has taught us that's a very dangerous thing to do. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, even, you know, prescription drugs taken as prescribed is one of the the leading causes of death in the Western world. So when you're dealing with novel chemicals, it's actually, it's a defensible position to say, we're actually deeming everything illegal here. And before, we will, allow, before right. we will allow that to be put through the bars of your cage, you've got to, you know, get Health Canada approval. But, you know, so I'm saying it's defensible because at the end of the day, if you and I cannot choose how we're going to either prevent illness mm-hmm. or how we're going to treat ourselves when we're sick, and decisions are being made for us based on money, how different are we than farm animals where somebody else decides what goes into your body and it's based on economic considerations? How are we different than farm animals? We're no different. So we either have, have sovereignty over our bodies or we don't. There's no middle ground. We're either farm animals or we're sovereign beings. There's no, well, we're kind of sovereign beings. Right. No, we either are or we aren't. But I'm just saying in the area of, of novel chemicals, this idea that we could be prevented from taking something that we're choosing to take fully informed is defensible. But when we're talking about things that are in our food supply, well, if somebody decides to market something that we're eating, it's in our food supply for a therapeutic purpose, this idea that no, then automatically it's illegal. So anything in our food supply is illegal if it's used for a therapeutic purpose. And we can only have those that Health Canada says we can and only say what Health Canada says we ha- can. That's really not defensible when, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when, 
we're talking about food because we don't have this substance risk. We know that it's not going to kill us or there's no more risk than we already have because we're eating it anyway. So the government doesn't. Right. So, so in, in other words, a good, I guess a good point of reference here for folks is if I wanted to take turmeric in a capsule form, right, that would have to be okayed by the government. But if I wanted to juice turmeric, you know, and drink 16 ounces every single day for therapeutic use, I could do that because it's a food, right? And it would make no sense to then regulate that food under the same sort of umbrella. Well, and, and I mean, I'll even... We'll even shake it up a bit because, I mean, turmeric is one of the main ingredients in curry. And right. so it's one of the most widely used spices in our food supply. But, you know, you picked it as as a, an example because it has so many therapeutic purposes that, you know, we're almost everyone listening is crazy if they're not supplementing with turmeric every day. Right. <laughs> so, but, so here you've got something so widely used. There's not a substance risk. We're not worried that somebody's going to die if turmeric's put in a capsule instead of your curry. Right. You're actually probably going to eat more in the curry than you would in a capsule form. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. But let's. But the point is there's not a substance risk. Now, exactly. what, what Health Canada, where Health Canada is saying there's a risk, and I'll, I'll have to explain why this is, this is really flawed reasoning when you understand our drug approval process. But for example, I mean, we're gonna hopefully in the conversation get to the fact that Health Canada is wanting to bring in even further restrictions on natural Mm -hmm. health products. And they've created this risk because they know there isn't a substance risk. So the risk that they've created, they've given it a name, they call it failed efficacy. And what the reasoning is, and and just understand this is just a paper tiger argument that's been created Mm -hmm. to justify taking away our right to choose to use natural treatments. But the failed efficacy, the the idea is, listen, people with serious health conditions, if they take a natural health product, they're going to be delaying seeking appropriate treatment. And they actually use the word appropriate treatment. Now, what they don't say is, is well, what's implied in, in this part of their argument already is, is that the natural treatment isn't going to work. Right, right. Which and, is and, quite, quite fantastic for those. I mean, I, I can't lecture without people coming up to me afterwards explaining they have a serious health condition. They tried all of the you know chemical pharmaceuticals that were approved as their doctor rotated them through all the options, they had a horrible experience, and then they came across a natural product that works for them, and either they're only alive because of the natural product, and I've definitely met lots of those, and I've yep, likewise, yeah, courts, or they 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 really only have quality of life because of natural product. Like we are talking both life and death, and quality of life in a very serious way. And, but Health Canada would say, no, no, we shouldn't be allowing that because it's not approved. But so back to this field efficacy. So the, the idea is, is, well, if you're taking a natural product for a serious health condition, you're going to delay getting appropriate treatment, which they mean the chemical pharmaceutical drugs. And there's a health risk. What if you die? What if, you know, you have complications or suffer needlessly because you didn't take the drug that works? Right. The chemical drug that works. Now, I have to, you know, work at not laughing or puking when I hear that argument because 
when Health Canada says that a drug works for a serious health condition, they mean, well, you've gotten through this new drug approval process. And the last part of that process is Health Canada has to be provided by the manufacturer two, you know, satisfactory double-blind clinical trials in which the chemical drug has a statistical separation from the sugar pill placebo. It's just, it's a statistical separation. So it works better than nothing. Well, they have to <laughs> give two trials that show a statistical separation between the sugar pill and the chemical. And we pretend that that means when it hits the marketplace that it works. When everyone knows and books are written on how clinical trials are so designed to get the exact results you want and that it has really nothing to do with whether or not it's going to work in the general population. But that's not even the point I was getting at. So they got to give mm -hmm. two trials. They could have 10 trials, run 10 trials in which eight show the sugar pill works better than the chemical, but they don't have to give those eight. They don't even mm -hmm. have to tell Health Canada about those eight. You know, I was, I was in a court case involving Health Canada and Health Canada hired an expert outside drug approval witness. And this was a psychiatrist that ran a company that got psychiatric drugs through this process. And this guy starts complaining when I'm questioning him about how hard it is. He said, you know, when, when a, a new antidepressant comes to us, we actually run eight double-blind clinical trials because on average we have to run eight to get the two that are wow. going to show a statistical separation. Well, <clears throat> this is a complete fraud on the public. And you, the, you have to understand, we have designed our drug approval process to protect intellectual property rights, not to good get good health outcomes. Mm -hmm. If we wanted to get good health outcomes, and our public policy was we need two double-blind clinical trials showing that it works, then our drug policy would be that the drug company would come to the government and say, okay, here's, you know, $800,000. You government run two double-blind clinical trials. Obviously, you're going to hire independent third parties, and you're going to be involved in the design of the clinical trials, and no problem. We know yeah. that the clinical trials are going to come back and show that it works because otherwise the company wouldn't be paying this money to Health Canada. Mm -hmm. Then we'd have good health outcomes. But we all know that we wouldn't be getting drugs approved then. Now, yeah. isn't that interesting? Well, we, all, we all know that if we amended our law there, because even just you and I speaking about it, it, it's going to be clear to everyone, just wait, that actually makes sense. Why should the company be designing the trial and being able to run trial after trial and then present two to the government, why not have the government run two? Mm -hmm. and or present no all of them, you know, mm -hmm. present all of the trials. And uh, one of my, my friends, James Maskell, who's come on the podcast before, uh, he posted something the other day, which, which is a really interesting graphic of the percentage of efficacy of drugs. You know, so when you actually look at the whole picture, what percentage of the population actually really benefits from the drugs. And some of them were as low as two to 3%. You know, again, they all have their time and place, but the point is that from an efficacy standpoint, when you actually encapsulate all of those studies, so the trials that work, the trials that didn't work, um, you'll see that the efficacy, it, it doesn't really help most people, it helps some people. 
But Brett, you know, it's it's interesting. The the chemical drugs have such a high risk profile mm-hmm. that if we abolished all chemical drugs today, we might actually save lives. I mean, I'm not saying we would, but but it they're so dangerous that we actually might have fewer deaths. I mean, I, I think it was in that uh, book, White Coat, Black Hat by Mr. Castles, where you know it was pointed out that every time doctors go on strike, the death rate drops. And then wow. as soon as they go back to work, the death rate goes back to where it was before the strike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Every time. Yeah, which and is you know, crazy, a correlation right? does not prove anything, but it, isn't it interesting that apparently every time doctors go on strike, the death rate drops. Mm-hmm. Well, so let, I want to I want to move the conversation forward. Um, just you know, sort of bring us on point a little bit today of what we want to talk about. And I want to you know now that we've sort of painted the picture of the drug approval process of you know I think a lot of our listeners are already familiar with some of these things, especially mm-hmm. with um, you know drugs versus supplements. Uh, but I think the to bring us back on point, um, you know, currently the natural health products are actually regulated as a subsect of the Food and Drug Act, right? So simply put, and I'm sure you'll elaborate on this, simply put, they are under the same umbrella as drugs. Therefore, they go through a similar, uh, or at least what they're pushing for now is going through the exact same approval process. And uh, so perhaps you can talk to us a little bit about how the sort of roadmap, if you will, of how supplements and natural health products came to be regulated as they currently are. Oh, yeah, perfect. And then, then you know, with your permission, I'll segue into what is now coming down. Yes, please, please. So basically, let's, you know, back up to the 90s. So we basically had one set of regulations, and those regulations were designed for chemical drugs. And what happened was, is people were becoming more and more interested in natural remedies, and Health Canada noticed and started attacking them by basically going to a manufacturer and saying, well, you're not in compliance with the chemical drugs, so stop selling. And you, you couldn't comply with that drug model. So the entire health food industry and natural supplement industry was illegal for all intents and purposes. I mean, we had some monograph DINs, but for all intents and purposes was illegal. Well, Health Canada's driving products off the market in such large numbers And then they were going to bring in some even stricter regulations on natural products and people rebelled. They just, they exploded. And there was this big mass movement. And October 4th, 1997, the government backs down. The health minister at the time was Alan Rock and he holds a press conference and he says, we have heard you. Canadians want access to natural products. They want the widest choice available. We are going to stop what we're doing. And he asked the Standing Committee of Health to look into how the government should regulate natural health products. And the Standing Committee of Health held the broadest consultations. These were public across the country, right? Public across the country. Just scores of expert witnesses. And they came out with a report with 53 recommendations. And they were clear it is not appropriate to regulate natural health products the same way as chemical drugs. It is not appropriate to impose the same standards of evidence on natural health products as chemical drugs. 
And, you know, there were a whole bunch of other recommendations. But but Simply put, I mean, the reason for that, the reason for that is a safety issue, right? I mean, there's a proven, like supplements and natural health products have a very good track record of being safe. And I think that was the sort of the thrust behind saying they don't need to be regulated the same with clinical trials and double placebos and, you know, all of that good stuff. Is that correct? Is that a fair statement? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it's interesting is, you know, in the United States, the same thing had happened and they had a citizen rebellion a few years before ours. And, you know, so Congress and the Senate had to look at this and they actually concluded that these products are so safe that they left, they, they're categorized as foods in the U.S. and they're deemed by law to be safe and the FDA can only take them off the market and the ground would be adulteration if there is evidence of significant harm. And yet here, after our rebellion, Health Canada takes several years and there, you know, there's advisory panel after advisory panel because they didn't like what they're being told. Mm-hmm. And they basically came out with drug style models. So ours are drugs. They're deemed to be illegal. They're deemed to be dangerous. They're deemed to be ineffective. And only those that can jump through licensing hoops are allowed to be extended through the bars of our cage. Right. So, so we took the opposite approach that the U.S. did. But that said, they are softer than the chemical rigs. So, for example, you can use traditional use evidence under our current regulations, the natural health product regulations, to support an efficacy claim. So let's say you and I wanted to, all of a sudden scurvy was plaguing Canada, and you and I thought, well, why don't we come up with a lime extract, because we know limes cure scurvy. Well, right now, we we could use 300 years of British naval records as evidence that Lyme Street's we're not going to run double-blind clinical trials right. because we have no intellectual property rights, so we'd never be able to raise the capital, and we'd go to business even once we got the approval. Sell a lot of limes. <laughs> concentrated lime juice, right? So there's no intellectual property rights. But And what what's wrong with using the British naval records to show that limes are an effective treatment for scurvy? In, in you know, the Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese traditions, I mean, they have evidence going back thousands of years, thousands of years, and, you know, a proven track record. So you mean that's less valuable than running a couple of trials that are designed to get the result that we want, and we can run as many as as we want till we get the two that are going to show you what you want? Like, really? Yeah. That's, that's, it is outrageous. So, but, it, but now what's coming down the pipe is, so here we had this complicated political process, the citizen rebellion to say, don't regulate them like drugs, but they're still regulated like drugs, but under softer regulations. And now the government said, you know what? We're not happy with this. Mm-hmm. We are going to repeal the natural health product regulations which is we the NHPD, been, right? So that's the, the Natural Health Products Directorate, which is sort of a subset of the Food and Drug Act, if that's correct. Yeah, it's not, it's not, that's not the exact name for it anymore because it's already now grouped with um, <coughs> non-prescription chemical drugs. Okay, and which you're getting into, so sorry. My, my yeah, apology. but so what they want to do is right now, the natural health products have their own set of regulations. 
And the government's saying, no, no, we're going to repeal those regulations. We're going to take natural products and we're going to regulate them under a single set of regulations with non-prescription chemical drugs and with cosmetics. And we're going to call these products self-care products. Now that in itself is an interesting culture change, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because natural health product implies that it's a natural product to assist your health. Self-care, what's that mean? It's very ambiguous or very vague. Yeah, and language is important. So now we're gonna be self-care products. They've made it clear that the type of claim that will be allowed is gonna be restricted. So right now under our natural product regulations, the type of claim that can be made isn't restricted. In theory, you could claim to treat cancer if you could satisfy Health Canada. Now, Health Canada has restricted us to what's called structure function claims. So, for example, the Strauss heart drops, well, they're not allowed to say, you know, treats heart disease. They're, you know, it's something like supports cardiovascular health. That's a structure function claim. It doesn't really say anything, right? It's general. That's that's not going to tell you, the consumer, what it, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't directly say, hey, you have, you know, advanced atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease. These will cure it. We're simply saying this supports heart health. And that's yeah, so, so we're, already, we're already limited in our claims, but they're saying we're going to be further limited. So <clears throat> the claims will be reduced so that you can't make a claim for a condition for which you would, I, you know, a person would seek the advice of a healthcare practitioner licensed by a province. So that could be a medical doctor, it could be a dietitian, it could be a naturopath, it could be a TCM doctor. I mean, anyone licensed, a nurse practitioner. I mean, but we're not talking medical doctor. Well, well, what type of condition? I mean, people go to get advice for athlete's foot, for crying out loud. So mm-hmm. what are we talking about? When self-care products, we're talking really cold and flu or might help prevent acne or, you know, like they're so signaling what, so that what, what, we can't the, use them for serious health conditions. Right. So what's the intention behind that? I mean, is this just to sort of create a bit of a smoke screen so that consumers have no idea what the product really does or what it's indicated for, therefore they might not buy it? Or what's the intention behind doing this? Oh, the, the intention is, is further censorship. Okay. okay. So because our, our drug... Our drug laws are designed to support intellectual property rights. And let me explain how this works. So the real money is is treating serious illness and hopefully it being a chronic illness so that you have to take a drug for the rest of your life to mitigate the symptoms. There's serious money in that. Mm -hmm. And we have designed our drug approval process so that to get approval to treat a serious health condition costs roughly a billion dollars. Wow. Say that again. (laughs) Roughly a billion dollars. So you will, you will never see in your lifetime, going back to the date of your birth to whenever you die, you will never see a product approved in Canada to treat a serious health condition that does not have a patent on it when it goes through the process. Hmm. The patent can expire after it's gone through the process, but you will only see drugs go through the process that have a patent with many years left on it. So because it cost them a billion dollars at least to get it through. Yeah, well, let, let me use Viagra as an example. So, you know, so Viagra goes through the process. That's, I'm, I'm picking it because most people know it's an erectile dysfunction drug. And yeah. when it got through the drug approval process, 
I mean, it was wildly popular. And I forget what pills cost, but I mean, it might have been 20, 30 bucks a pill. I mean, it was in the media how expensive these pills were, but people were paying for them. Mm-hmm. And then when it, when it falls off patent, the chemical name's just Sidenafil. So now the generic manufacturers can make Sidenafil. Well, the price drops. Mm-hmm. But while you have this patent protection, you make so much money on the blockbusters that you recover the cost of getting through the process on that one and the ones that failed because they don't all get through and then you make money. And, you know, anyone can go online and look at the annual reports for the pharmaceutical companies. They make serious money. (laughs) They're a cornerstone of the economy. But it depends on censorship. It depends on censorship. And let me explain how this works. So let's imagine your entire audience, we all come down with a serious health condition. And we go to the doctor and the doctor says, I need you to understand this is chronic. You're going to have it for the rest of your life. And you're actually never going to be well again. But what I can do is, is, you know, I can prescribe a chemical pharmaceutical drug for you, uh, which will reduce some of the symptoms. You're you're not going to be well. You're never going to be healthy enough. (laughs) <laughs> but you're gonna it's gonna be better, but understand that there's some there's some side effects that we're gonna have to manage and you're just gonna have to deal with them. Now, in that scenario, almost all of us are going to go to the pharmacist and fulfill that prescription. While it's on patent, we're gonna pay a lot of money. And then when the patent runs off, because we're on this for our lives, then you know the price will drop, but we'll be on it for the rest of our lives. And you can just you can see how money is made there. Mm-hmm. Now, let's change that hypothetical a little bit. And you're just about to leave the doctor's office and the doctor says, oh, wait a second, you know, I forgot. There's also this natural product that treats the condition. And actually, you know, it, it pretty well cures it. And there's no side effects and it costs a song and a dance because there's no intellectual property rights. You, you may want to consider that too. Well, you see how the money train falls apart there. Mm-hmm. Because then we're not going to buy the expensive chemical drug. We're going to go and take, a lot of us are going to go take the natural one and the system falls apart. Which when is I what's say happening. This, <coughs> what, the, 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 this is exactly what is actually happening. I mean, people are turning to natural medicine. That's why it's, you know. Well, and I'm getting to the point the that, that this, is, this is what these changes are about is we need censorship. <coughs> so, um, but the model breaks apart if we know. So right now, Health Canada takes the position, well, we will approve a label claim. So, you know, just using the stress heart drops example, something like supports cardiovascular health. But you cannot say anything other than your label claim. I mean, I know of one company, I think there's about 30 published, peer-reviewed, researched articles all funded by governments, I think four different governments, four different countries. So it's public Mm -hmm. money into a private natural health product that's published in like blue chip medical journals, and they can't share that information or they'll be squashed by Health Canada. Now, the problem Health Canada has is that, and this is just all in their mind, because as a lawyer, like when companies are charged by Health Canada, natural health product companies, they find it traumatic. They find it expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. the legal fees and, you know, the disruption in business. <clears throat> but if they're convicted, I mean, they can face jail, and some people do, but jail is, 
is not the, the common thing, especially your first time through. You're, it's a maximum $5,000 fine. Now, <clears throat> under these new changes, under this self-care framework, those are going to become $5 million a day fines. Oh, wow. Okay. So right now, it's $5,000 per an offense. An offense could last a week. An offense could last a month. That's going to be switched to $5 million a day for every day of a violation. And if it's a company, the company's charged and the corporate veil is pierced and every officer, director, manager, employee involved in the offense can also be charged and personally liable for $5 million. So essentially you're done. Yeah, the intention is, is so that who could withstand that? So now if Health Canada says, you are sharing truthful health information. Well, they won't say truthful health. You're sharing information other than your label claim. You stop. <clears throat> Companies might not. Hmm. But when it's $5 million a day. So these are the Bill C-51 penalties. And <clears throat> Brett, I know you are involved in the Bill C-51 fight. But for those of your listeners that aren't aware, in 2008, Bill C-51 was introduced to amend the Food and Drug Act, and it came down with these $5 million a day penalties. It came down with administrative penalties. It came down with giving Health Canada just outrageous powers. Mm -hmm. And the natural health community rebelled. Mm -hmm. They, I mean, they rebelled, and the government backed down. Now, what they did is they gamed us with the Trojan horse bill. So a few years later, they come out with a bill that's called Vanessa's Law, introduced by Terrence Young, and it basically brought all of the, the Bill C-51 powers and penalties into the Food and Drug Act, but they don't apply to natural health products. So they created a new drug category called therapeutic product, and they defined therapeutic product as basically meaning a drug, but not including a natural health product as defined by the natural health product regulations. And our criticism at the time was, well, wait a second, you're saying you don't want these powers to apply to natural health products. And it's even in the preamble of the act, this doesn't apply to natural health products. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but the way you've written it, all Health Canada would have to do is repeal the NHP regs, and we're all therapeutic products. So if you really mean this, you huh. should be putting the definition of natural health product into the Food and Drug Act. Then if you want them to apply, we all have noticed because you'd have to amend the act and there'd have to be three readings in the House of Commons and three readings in Senate, and we have time to react. But the way they've done it, they just have to drop the regs. Oh, wait, what are they planning on doing? Oh, we're going to drop the NHP regs and regulate natural health products with the chemical drugs as self-care products. Oh, now we're all therapeutic products and we've lost the Bill C-51 fight. And how they do this, they publish the change in the Canada Gazette which no one reads. <laughs> which no one reads. They wait a couple of weeks and they publish it again and it's law. There's no vote. Hmm. There's a very little window. So, so, Sean, just for our listeners in lay terms, in very simplistic terms, you know, what, what do you see as the sort of pressing issue right now? I mean, really what we're talking about in simple terms is we're talking about restriction of access to natural health products we are concerned that a lot of products, I mean, a lot of products have disappeared off the shelf, but a lot of products have gone through the channels of getting natural product numbers or NPN numbers. So we do see a lot of products on the shelf, 
but for our listeners out there, I mean, what what does the road ahead look like? What is the what are the proposed regulations that are happening right now that have you really concerned? Okay, so so we're moving in the self care framework. We're gonna we're gonna lose the right to make efficacy claims. Like we're gonna be dumbed down more. We're going to lose the right to use traditional use evidence to support claims. So whole healing traditions are being thrown out the window. We're going to have these draconian fines. We're going to have administrative penalties, and we're going to have cost recovery. So the manufacturers are going to have to be paying yearly for licensing. And I can tell you, I was on a call with a group of manufacturers about three weeks ago, and one manufacturer said, you know, almost half of our product line we don't make money on. But we continue making them because we know some people rely on the products. But if we have to pay these licensing fees, we're not going to be able to afford to do this anymore. So there's going to be losses. This is a train wreck. This is a situation that if we allow this to continue, I don't think we're ever going to be able to come back. And that train that's going to a full drug model where you will have zero option but to treat your, any serious health condition with chemical drugs. We are going to be too far down that road to stop the train. So we actually think it's a red alert emergency right now because Health Canada's published a timetable for when they're bringing these changes in. And so 2018, they were, said we we're going to bring in some labeling changes, and they did. The next deadline's now, early 2019. Hmm. to begin the harmonization of natural products and the chemical pharmaceutical drugs. Now, we don't know what that looks like. Maybe they'll bring in regulations that don't yet apply, you know, because you can bring in regulations and say, well, this, you know, applies to the chemical drugs right away, but not natural products till this later date. But basically right now, so now we believe that because this is going to be unpopular, that Health Canada may wait until after the election because that's a common practice. If something's going to be unpopular, you wait till after the election, and then you bring it in, and then you know four years later, people are less angry. Right. It's common. So we actually think right now, so the NHPPA, the Natural Health Product Protection Association, a nonprofit group I'm involved with, we, um, we are basically starting a campaign to get people to start writing their MP, the health minister, the prime minister immediately so that the Liberal government appreciates, wait a second, this is unpopular. We better wait till after the election. So it's kind of buy you some time. Right. But then, between now and then, make it such a big issue that every party is on side in the election saying, we are not going to support the self-care framework. The second thing we're asking for is to put the definition of NHP into the Food and Drug Act so that you know, Bill C-51 can't be applied just by regulatory change. And the third part of our strategy is to have the Charter of Health Freedom enacted as law. And for those of you who don't know the Charter of Health Freedom, just Google Charter of Health Freedom. It has its own website. After Bill C-51, there were two conferences and people from all across Canada came, practitioners, consumers, pressure groups, manufacturers, retailers, and it was like Health Canada keeps coming up with these challenges and we fight and fight and fight just to stay where we were. Although, you know, ever so slowly the screws are tightening. How do we actually win? How do we actually roll back where we have health freedom? 
and yeah. we force reasonable regulation? And the answer was the charter. So the charter is just a health bill of rights. It takes those health rights the courts say we already have and it codifies them. And it says these have primacy over any other piece of federal legislation except the constitution. And it creates a new ministry of wellness whose mandate is to actually protect and promote access to natural products and low risk treatment modalities. Mm -hmm. So, and it, so it moves the regulation from health Canada, because as I said, this idea that as soon as things in our food chain are used therapeutically, they're illegal and banned. That is inconsistent with health freedom. So, you know, our model, and I'm not saying there isn't room for regulation. We all want to be protected against outright fraud. Of course, of course. We all want to be protected against adulteration, but parsley isn't illegal or or turmeric Mm -hmm. isn't illegal just simply because, oh, it has health benefits and is marketed for that. You know, the Standing Committee of Health, one of their recommendations when they looked into this was, why don't you make it law that anyone making a treatment claim for a natural health product has to disclose their evidence, good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah. So that people can actually then assess what they think about the claim. Right. Well, because, and, and what's interesting with that is that a lot of the, you know, the professional line um, supplements, especially where you, those are only available to licensed practitioners, they actually have supplement monographs that go with the products where it's a document that basically says, here's the scientific studies that show that this product does X, X, and X, and that sort of goes along with the product. So we have these things available to us. It's not like, you know, someone just pulled, pulled the efficacy claims out of thin air. Um, but I wanted to sort of touch on something, you know, this is a sort of real um, uh, a broader view and something that's always really concerned me is, or, you know, concerned me slash blow my mind is here in Canada, you know, we have government sanctioned healthcare, right? So we've got OHIP, we've got these provincial bodies that, you know, I mean, this is hotly debated between the US and Canada. We can go to a doctor, we don't have to pay anything. Essentially, healthcare is quote unquote free. Mm-hmm. And so... Yet, at the same time, we have a population that is sicker. We spend uh, more than the global average, quite a lot more on the global average on our healthcare, and people are not really reaping the benefits. So I always look at the whole government healthcare as, as one of the best things and one of the worst things about healthcare in Canada. So take that, and now you've got a population that is willing to pay out of pocket for natural health products that are safe, in many instances, aside from traditional efficacy, um, you know, we now have scientific evidence to show that they work, but people are experiencing the benefit. They are supporting themselves out of pocket to essentially lighten the burden on the healthcare system, to lighten the overall cost on the government system. And yet we have Health Canada saying, no, we don't want you to do that. We would prefer to spend more money on the system that's broken. And essentially, I mean, the healthcare system is falling apart. I mean, we, we, we can also... Yeah, now, now, I hope you appreciate that Health Canada's got a bit of a conflict of interest here. Do tell. So, now, I don't know the exact amount, but it's funny. I was lecturing at a health show in Calgary about a month ago, and one of the persons volunteering at our booth, and I won't name the person, but, you know, they, they ran out of a faculty of medicine a research unit for roughly 30 years. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and at the fac- at a faculty of medicine at a Canadian university. And, and this person was talking about 
the last time they looked into it, I think it was roughly 40% of Health Canada's budget is from fees charged to the chemical pharmaceutical companies. So if this model broke down because we no longer had the censorship of truthful health information, so people were not taking the chemical drugs because they were opting, Health Canada would actually have to shrink dramatically. Hmm. Like these people's jobs depend on censoring from us truthful health information and, and structuring our drug systems so that we are funneled into chemical pharmaceutical drugs for any serious health condition. Like when I was telling you that, you know, you've never seen in your lifetime a, you know, a drug being approved for a serious health condition that doesn't have a patent on it. We've deliberately designed the system that way. It doesn't have to be that way. But, you know, it's funny. When we're in the court system saying, well, a, a law is unconstitutional, the court doesn't just look at the letter of the law. The court looks at the effect because courts know, well, the law might be written a certain way, but what's its effect? That's its real intention. Mm-hmm. Well, the effect of our drug law is, is that it is illegal in Canada to treat a serious health condition with anything but a chemical pharmaceutical drug. It would be more honest if Parliament would amend the Food and Drug Act to say it is illegal to treat a serious health condition with anything but a chemical pharmaceutical drug that had a patent at the time it went through the drug approval process. For greater clarity, it's illegal to use a natural health product to to treat a serious health condition. At least then we'd be honest. That's our drug policy. That's our drug law. Well, that's not for good health outcome. That is to protect intellectual property rights. And Health Canada, half of those employees, their livelihood depends on keeping this model going, which depends on censorship, and censorship is going to increase. We are at a crossroads, and if we don't, you know, if your listeners don't get involved and stop this, then... It's going to be game over, and we're all going to regret it. You know, I think when we're on our deathbeds and we're reminiscing, oh, I didn't stand up and fight, and I should have. Which so is, what? So, so I, I mean, like, so from a so from a sort of boots on the ground perspective, like, are we talking about the potential of losing a lot of supplements out there? Like, well, let me know, let me use for example. You were talking about, you know, how with professional products they come with these monographs. I think that any professional that thinks the professional lines are going to continue much longer are delusional. Hmm. We're moving into a self-care framework where self-care products can't be used for conditions. You can't have a claim for a condition for which you would seek a naturopath or a nutritionist or a TCM or an Ayurvedic so, doctor. So, so, so what if, hang so, on a second. So, yeah. And you're no longer going to be able to use traditional evidence except for just the most lowliest of claims. Mm-hmm. And before long, it's, they say it's be a year or two after the transition, you're going to have to have the exact same standards of evidence. So you're going to have to run clinical trial evidence without intellectual property rights. How in that scenario will down the line Health Canada just simply say, how can there be professional use self-care products this is inconsistent with the intention of these regulations right because they're all going to be lumped together under one self-care umbrella as yes a, yeah, if you right. want if you want approval you'll have to go through the new drug approval process so, 
Which, which brings me to another important question. What does that mean for practitioners who practice any form of natural medicine and who are recommending natural health products? I, I think that they're facing, and it won't happen overnight because they boil this frog slowly. How it happens is it's just product after product, gradually they tighten and drive off the market and force them to be dumbed down so that they become ineffective. But this, this is the biggest challenge facing healthcare practitioners that use natural products ever. And the intention is to make it more difficult. The intention is to funnel us into this chemical drug framework. I mean, the problem is, is too many people are taking these products and there's too much information because <clears throat> manufacturers are sharing information beyond the label claim. Mm. They're sharing it to the public. They're sharing it to practitioners. What you just described with practitioners, that's illegal. They can't share that research with you. They do, mm -hmm. but they can be punished under our current NHP regulations. So even under the current regs, eh? Wow. Absolutely. Huh. Interesting. Absolutely. It's a broken model. Can hmm. you, how, how can you... We're supposedly a liberal democracy, and it's the manufacturers that have the research. They're the ones that compile it, and they're the ones definitely that get the anecdotal evidence, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they can't share it. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly puts us in a bit of a pickle, um, you know, especially if you're dumbing down everything and you're reducing label claims, you're not allowing health professionals and companies to share any of their data or their findings. Um, you know, what I see, one of the big sort of issues is you're going to be left with the public to essentially go and research all of these things for themselves on the internet and then have to go and make some sort of informed choice um, to take the product themselves and self-treat. And I think that in the world that we find ourselves in today, a lot of people just simply don't have the time or the inclination to do that. They're just going to be like, I, I, don't, I just don't have the time to do it. And mm -hmm. so that's perhaps a convenient, um, uh, you know, the, a convenient screw that can be tightened on the NHP industry as a whole. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, just even just to, you know, take the other side, you know, where Health Canada might have some concerns that people are making claims without backing. Well, like, again, if the law was, <clears throat> you had to disclose the evidence you did have, regardless of what it was and what type, at least people could make informed choices. Because, I mean, I've called people as witnesses who are only alive. You know, so, I mean, their evidence is under oath. There's court transcripts. I'm only alive because of this NHP. I took every of the approved drugs. They weren't working. Everyone agrees I'd be dead. And I knew when I was taking it, there was no research. I knew I was the guinea pig. Well, but shouldn't an adult, you know, with full mind, mm -hmm. fully informed, have the right. I mean, I, you know, I, I've mentioned a couple of times now lecturing when I'm just, you know, talking about this issue. I mean, I know of a, an Amish traditional healer whose son was badly burned and was going to die, who got a vision from God on how to make a, a treatment, made it, and it saved his son. It's worked tremendously for other people. If I'm badly burned, I actually want that knowing yeah. that some people would go, well, that, that's kind of hokey evidence. But as long as I'm fully informed, well, I'm, not a farm, I'm not a farm animal. Shouldn't I have the right to choose? And then also, shouldn't I know what evidence is there or not there? 
Right. And, and I mean, th that, that really brings us onto the macroscopic view and right on point to the Canadian Constitution, right? I mean, that is in the Charter of Rights and Freedom. We have the freedom to choose. And no, that's not in our, our charter. Okay, so please enlighten me on that one. because uh, and, I, and I know you mentioned the Charter of Health Freedom very briefly, but I know that there's some overlap. So perhaps... Yes, you can well, share. the Charter of Health Freedom is different than our Charter of Rights. Oh, I know that. I know that. But, you know, from a, from a freedom of choice standpoint, how does that tie in from a constitutional Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms? Yeah, like, so let's just use the marijuana case law as an example, because that's, you know, recent. It, it's just, I didn't like how broad you said that. So, you know, the marijuana case... I'm not a lawyer. That's why it was broad. <laughs> yeah. The marijuana case law, you know, the courts have been clear listen, if, you know, if cannabis works for you better than anything else, or, you know, even not that, but I mean, it, it's, it's something you legitimately need and there aren't other options. Cause I mean, that, that's come up in, in those section oh, yeah. seven cases, yeah. which is, you know, different than just having an outright right to choose per se. But the courts have said, listen, no, no, you've got a right under section seven of the charter to access treatments that you need. But they wouldn't go as broad as say you just have the absolute right to choose anything. So oh, sure, yeah. They yeah. wouldn't go so far as to say, well, you've got the right to choose a, an untested chemical drug that may be very dangerous without, you know, going through Health Canada's, you know, mm -hmm. kind of last faint hope proceedings type thing, right? So, yeah, so it's not, it's not that broad. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I think we have to decide do we have control over our bodies or not? I mean, can I come to you and say, I'm changing your diet, Brett. I want yeah. you to eat this, this, and this, and forget about, you know, those other things. <clears throat> you would think that's outrageous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you were suffering and all the approved treatments weren't working, I mean, isn't it outrageous that you couldn't try something else fully informed? Right. It is my body. I mean, I, you well, it, it is or is it or isn't it? That's my point. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think it is. But if we let this self-care framework press ahead, it isn't. And Health mm -hmm. Canada takes the position it isn't. And yeah. our MPs well, it's, it's essentially support this drug state. model. It's a, it's a nanny state, right? I mean, it's uh, we, we know what's best for you. And uh, of course, in the background of it all, there's a huge monetary um, agenda, political agenda, whatever you want to call it, uh, which is driving it all. Um, you know, yeah, essentially fueling the pharmaceutical drug model um, over yeah. and over. No, can I? I will continue the interview, but can I give out the NHPPA website? Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to put in the show links. So for those okay. of you listening, um, check out the show links or the show notes here. I'm going to put links to the NHPPA the Charter of Health Freedom as well, and anything else that you want to uh, want to share with the audience. Um, I want to sort of move us into into wrapping up, Sean. So, you know, are there any other real key points that you want to get across that we maybe haven't touched on? Uh, well, sure. I'd actually like to share about <clears throat> how this self-care framework came to be because I've shared with the audience, you know, there was a citizen rebellion, the Standing Committee of Health looked into all of you know, held the broadest consultations in Canadian history, and then there were transition teams. The amount of political capital and citizen involvement to arrive at our current regulations, it might be true to say that there's been more citizen involvement and expert involvement in arriving at the NHP regulations than any other law in Canada. 
Wow, that's that a bold was, statement. But it may be true. Mm -hmm. And if it's not true, the point is, is it was significant. Yeah. So how are, why are we, what's the basis for throwing this away? And it's actually a funny little story. So Health Canada is going across the land explaining these changes that are coming down the pipe. And, and one person in the industry, Dean Parks, he's attending this, one of the meetings, and Health Canada saying, people are criticizing this, and the Health Canada people are saying, well, these are non-negotiable changes. And when they're asked, why are these non-negotiable changes, they were, it was explained, a, a committee of senior management came up with this, and it's being imposed from above. So, uh, so Dean does an access to information request and gets the names of this senior committee. Well, it's four bureaucrats. Um, if I recall correctly, two of which just kind of came from international trade negotiations and then went into Health Canada, participated in this policy, and then went out again. Like for sure, three for sure, three of the four have no expertise in natural health products at all, or healthcare at all, really. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just it's outrageous. And then so Mr. Parks did an access to information request saying, "Well, give me the evidence that these this these people relied on these four bureaucrats to come up with this." And so Health Canada releases this, and we've actually, if you. Um, go to www.nhppa.org and find the discussion paper on the evidence. I'll post There's that a, in the show notes, yeah. There is a link to actually the materials Dean Park got. So, you know, when there's angry handwriting on it, that's actually Dean Park's handwriting, <laughs> right? It's not mine or, or anyone else's. So basically what happened was, is Health Canada just internally said, you know what, these NHP regulations, this model is a little more flexible. Why don't we adopt it for chemical non-prescription drugs so that they have a more flexible model? And so they published a call for public comments on that. They actually even said in their call for public comments, we're not touching how we regulate NHPs. This has nothing to do with NHPs. We're just looking at adopting a different framework for chemical non-prescription drugs and cosmetics. So the NHP community, we don't respond because this public call for comments said this has nothing to do with NHPs. Hmm. So then after, and only about like roughly 30 companies submit, you know, letters and nothing. So we're not talking expert opinion on how you should regulate NHPs. Then they, they say, hey, we're, we're coming out with this self-care framework. We've consulted with the public and we're going to move NHPs. What? Mm -hmm. So there's no basis at this for all. There's no scientific evidence. There's no internal problems. There's no examples of our current regulations failing the public. There's yeah. none of that at all. So we've got these most broad consultations that got us where we are. And now this is being thrown out just based on four bureaucrats pulling out of thin air these ideas. It's outrageous. Which yeah, which of course has you know serious ramifications, which was kind of what we've been talking about for the last hour. Mm -hmm. um, so, what what do you think is the solution, Sean? Um, I know you've mentioned Charter of Rights, uh, Charter of Health Freedom, but what what needs to happen? I mean, how do the public get involved? How do people get okay. mobilized to so, make a difference here? So the the NHPPA, and you're you're going to put the link on, and yeah. I actually I'll. I'll send you a, a link that is to a page where we have the discussion papers 
and we have links to the Standing Committee of Health Reports. And then we also have links on pages of <clears throat> how to get involved. Like awesome. right now, we're talking on February 26, 2019. Mm -hmm. I would like your audience to immediately go to the site. There's a, a letter template there. If you want to just look at that and write your own letter, it's actually stronger. But if you, know, if you don't feel competent to do that, just use our form letter. But immediately, we let, need the government to know. So not just your MP, but the Minister of Health and the Prime Minister, mm -hmm. so that they don't bring in the self-care framework before the election. And we need you con to continue to write letters. <clears throat> we need you to get your network involved. So we need you to actually send out you know, our information or our links to your network saying this is a red alert emergency. And even if, you know, you only got 5 or 10% of your network involved, because realistically, you're only going to get a small number involved. Right. They're, they're going to get 5 or 10% of their network involved and so on and so on. And before you know it, we have a popular movement. We're going to need people like, so if you're, let's say, a naturopathic doctor, we need to form a committee of naturopathic doctors to make sure that all the naturopathic doctors in Canada know what are going on and are getting involved. I'm just picking that group as an example. Sure, sure. There'll be about 10 or 12 different committees we need to form. So we want you to then email us and say, I'm a naturopathic doctor and I'm actually willing to work on educating doctors. We need, you know, Brett, on the Bill C-51 fight, you know, you and a couple of other people formed a pressure group to get mm -hmm. it. We need people to form pressure groups. We need people to take charge of, of doing rallies and stuff like that. And the NHPPA, we view our role of just helping to equip and give you tools and advice. But we actually need, you know, however you're moved to get involved. But this is, you know, this is the 11th hour. All right. And, and um, I, I would assume manufacturers obviously should be getting involved as well. I mean, it's their... It's everyone their should. And, and the amount of ignorance is astronomical, even though Health Canada really tried to educate people. When I walked the Calgary Health Show, I went to, from exhibitor booth to exhibitor booth, and I ran across one person at the show who was aware of the framework, but then even then didn't really understand hmm. what was coming down the pipe. So... There is a huge need to get involved immediately and stay involved until we get, you know, this stopped, until we get the definition into the act, and until we get, you know, the charter. We actually want to create so much pressure that this election, every party puts the charter of, of health freedom in their election platform. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It, it just, it actually makes perfectly good sense economically, um, you know, people are shifting into a self-care model anyway. We're all taking better That's care of ourselves. That's not even that word, Brett. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I don't mean that from a legal standpoint. I mean that people are taking charge of their own health. They're, they're right. you know, adopting lifestyle dietary practices. They're taking natural health products to prevent disease and to keep themselves out of the doctor's office. And you would think that the government would actually be championing that because it lightens the load on the entire healthcare system, right? Oh, but, but there but you are using, you're being reasonable here. Stop that. Sorry about that. Sorry. Yeah, uh, that, don't be silly. Don't be reasonable. <laughs> well, um, on that note, Sean, it was great to sit down and chat with you and catch up with you. Um, after all this time, I'm going to put down those links in the show notes. So for those of you listening, uh, definitely click on the links, um, get involved. Uh, you know, the NHPPA have made things 
uh, as easy as possible for everyone to get on get on board and to move this forward. Um, any final words from your side, Sean? No, I think we've we've covered things. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me on your show. Awesome. Anytime. And uh, for those of you out there listening, as always, uh, please share, um, leave us a review, subscribe, do whatever you can uh, to help me bring you more guests like Sean and to discuss important and pressing topics like this. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, uh, Sean, for coming on today. And uh, you have a beautiful day wherever you are. Bye.